Welcome to Naturebacked podcast, where we are talking with investors about their vision of the new green world. My name is Tarmo Virki, and in this episode I'm talking with Maria de Perlinki from Norslab, a Norwegian investment firm. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying the Naturebacked podcast. I'm Merit, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Single Earth, and we're a team of more than 70 people building a nature-backed economy. And if that sounds crazy enough for you, then join us. Sign up at single.earth to be among the first to get access to our nature-backed tokens. And let's talk more on our Earthsavers Discord channel. Enjoy the show. Hello, Maria. Welcome uh, to the nature-backed. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Tell us a few words about Norse Lab. What do you guys do? Yeah, so Norse Lab uh, has uh, kind of an interesting heritage. Uh, we're now what we call uh, an impact investment platform focusing on the Nordics. But originally, we was we were actually a uh, venture studio. So we were really specialists in building companies from scratch and um, co-founding with other smart people around what we call meaningful companies so it would be typically companies that would do some some kind of good in the world uh and uh, we had a really good portfolio uh with companies that were starting to get product market fit starting to enter the growth phase and so on and uh 2019 2020 um we saw that there was a real big gap in the nordics between you know the startup community seed community where there was a lot of activity it was really thriving uh and then i would say the more large scale uh vc pe and buyout community where there was also a lot of activity but i would say in between so between seed and series a there was pretty much no one to you know take on those companies bring the capital bring the competence uh, and you know, take them to to um, to the international scene. So that's the point where we decided to uh, establish Norslab as you know it today. So <laughs> we're now a an internationally regulated fund platform. And uh, as we started out, we established our first venture fund, which was actually the largest first time venture fund um, founded out of Norway. So that was back in 2020. Um, we were very fast at investing into that fund. We had amazing deal flow as we anticipated with the funding gap that, uh, that was for growth companies. Um, and, uh, we've already launched our second venture fund, uh, where, uh, we are already, uh, invested into one company and we're still fundraising. But what's more exciting is that at Norslab we have the ambition to um, to prove that impact is the future of investments, no matter the asset class. Mm. So we've started in venture. It's what we it was kind of our comfort zone in some way because it was very close to what we knew how to do. Uh, but now we're very rapidly expanding into other asset classes. So we're actually launching this uh, in Q4 we're launching a high yield fund. So we're going into the credit space uh, and we'll also launch a structured equity fund uh, that you, I don't think it's so known here in the Nordics. Uh, it's more known in the US uh, and beyond, uh, but it will be a fund that looks a lot more like the venture funds 
Uh, so still more in the known asset class for us. Mm -hmm. But you can expect us also to move into other asset classes going forward. And, uh, you know, we're, we're set up to scale fast. We've uh, invested a lot in building our platform, which is basically based on three core pillars. So uh, you would have the state-of-the-art governance uh, that we built thanks to our CEO, Eric, uh, who joined and who came from the uh, hedge fund world. And that is kind of our, our governance guru, I tend to call him. And that really built as a rig that is scalable and that is designed to attract international investors. And then the second aspect, which I am uh, heading up, uh, which is impact uh, or meaningfulness, as we call it at Norse Lab, um, where that is our philosophy and our approach to impact that is overarching all the investment strategies that we have in the various funds. And then, of course, it's the third aspect, which has to do with the fact that we are also here to create returns. So we build investment teams that are specialists in their field uh, to, to, to deliver uh, solid interest, uh, sorry, solid returns to, uh, to investors uh, across the funds that we have. So I would say that's the, that's the, that's the short introduction to our history mm. and who Norslab is. Uh, so, but we're on a very exciting scaling journey right now. Uh, you're kind of, uh, heading the impact or the meaningfulness part. Tell us a few words. What, what's, in, what's impact for you? So we have, uh, we have our own take on, you know, how we can create the best possible impact. And I'll get back to that. But I would say when we talk about impact, uh, people tend to say it's about doing good, doing good for people on planet. Uh, we tend to, from a structural viewpoint, we'll always look to the SDGs, so the UN Sustainable Development Goals, uh, which for us is the roadmap to a sustainable future, uh, which is, you know, the definition of how we as investors can contribute to, to that future that we need. Uh, so that's kind of in terms of defining what's good mm. in terms of impact. Uh, but when we think of how we can best contribute, uh, we have built an approach that's based on, on three principles that we apply uh, on all our funds. And the first principle is that we always look for uh, what we call product-driven impact. Uh, so we're, we will not focus so much on how a company is run or, you know, the operations of a company, which would be more typical for the ESG approach. Uh, we will really look at the core products of the company, uh, the way the company makes money and whether that, <clears throat> sorry, whether that can contribute uh, to one of the sustainable development goals. And then there is a second aspect, which is really important to us. It's the notion of net impact. Uh, so it's really recognizing that all companies have both positive and negative effects. And it doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad that you have a negative effect or that you have a cost for the environment. We know that food production, for instance, will always have a cost to the planet, right? 
but it's more an awareness uh, thing where we really like to see what a company looks like. Are they doing more good than bad than than harm, basically? Uh, and of course, if a company does significant harm, it will be out of our scope. Logical. Uh, and then there's the third, uh, I would say, the third aspect of our of our philosophy, if I might call it that. Uh, is that we like to go into resource intensive industries. So, you know, we've seen a wave of a lot of, you know, consumer tech, uh, that is kind of focused on, on impact. We believe that the next frontier or, or really the, uh, the, the code that we have to crack now is in the major global industries where we know that there are huge challenges. And, you know, those are industries that we, cannot live without we need food we need you know shelter <laughs> we need mm. buildings mm. <laughs> uh, we need to transport stuff we need to transport people and you know we're not at all shy of going into those industries and supporting companies that uh, that contribute to transforming those industries so those are three very central aspects to how we think on mm. on impact it, the interesting list of companies you mentioned: the food, construction, transport. Um, but in those in those kind of resource-intensive uh, sectors, you would be still investing in uh, technology startups, or uh, are you having a wider scope that you know, if somebody wants to build a new farm, is that a case also for you guys? No. So with our venture funds, we're of course looking for uh, companies with uh, venture growth potential. Uh, so it would have to be a very scalable, uh, business model. Uh, but what we see now is that the most, some of the most interesting cases, uh, they have some kind of combination of software and hardware. So of course, not right now, uh, with everything that's going on in the world, there is a high focus on energy, for instance. And, uh, with our first venture fund, we invested into a company called Antec. Uh, and it's a company that's, uh, produces uh, clean energy, so gas, uh, and uh, biofertilizer on the basis of any kind of bio waste. So it can be um, it can be food waste, it can be sludge, it can be wastewater. You know, all of those kinds of um, bio waste that are actually an environmental problem in themselves. Mm. That you can use as input, and then you have, you know, this technology that they have built that is hugely more efficient than any of the existing biogas technologies, uh, where you basically put it into the uh, digester, and you will start having energy and biofertilizer production within five to seven days. And it's also very modular, and and it's a, it's a kind it's very scalable model, so. Uh, basically, it fits on a truck. So one one of the digesters fits on a, on a truck and you can have as many as you want, as few as you want. Uh, so this means that you can have distribution of uh, this energy production. So you can have local communities or you can have industries that would have this kind of solution locally. So using the bio waste that they have in the community. So as long as we have people, we have the kind of waste we need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to put into the, the digesters, uh, and and then you could you could use the energy that comes out and the biofertilizer that comes out 
uh, directly in the community. So it's uh, for energy security, of course, um, which is uh, high on the agenda right now. Uh, but also, uh, of course, it's it's a beautiful, uh, we say in Norway, a kinder egg. You know, it's a company that really solves uh, many challenges um, in one go. Mm. And they're actually heading now into a large international round. Uh, we're expecting to raise uh, 50 million euro plus for that company. So very, very successful. But I think it's a... Uh, uh, of course, it's a it's a case where you have a very very interesting piece of technology, but also where, where it's something that happens in the real physical world, right? It's not just software. Exactly, and and also yeah. they have the kind of headwinds uh, from their geopolitics to support the case just now. Yeah, but also you know we could uh, there are very interesting software cases as well uh, that are very complementary. So if you look to the energy space. Um, we also have a company that specifically targets uh, buildings and building owners uh, with a software that allows building owners to get a good overview of uh, the total environmental footprint of their buildings. So this means that they will collect all the data sources from the, I would say, from the, the beginning of the construction project um, to understand the embodied carbon of a building and then also connect with all the data sources that says something about the environmental footprint in the operations of the building. Mm. And um, and this piece of software gives a super good overview of what's driving your environmental footprint in the mm. building. And as you know, you know, buildings, uh, we say that they're 40% of the resource use and 40% of the pollution, right, in, in the world. So it's a huge chunk of, of potential impact there. And this kind of software companies, you are actually enabling people to, to do something about buildings, even though it's a software. Mm. Uh, but we see that the buildings that implement this, they reduce water use, they reduce energy use, uh, they reduce food waste in the canteens and so on. So of course, at scale, this is the kind of company that it can also have massive impact and that I would say also plays on the other spectrum of what we need for the to solve the energy crisis. Because on one hand, we need more clean energy. On the other hand, we also need greater uh, efficiency, efficiency, so energy efficiency, so reduce and clean up. Uh, so we really look we we look at at um, these um, sustainability challenges from from the various angles that we can mm. attack them, uh, and with various types of companies. Mm. You said that uh, in 2020 you were the largest VC fund uh, in Norway. How big is the largest? Oh, actually, I, I'm I don't know because. Uh, uh if you if you look at first time funds i know that we were the we mm. were the biggest so we okay. were 70 million euro okay but of course people with a track record that have fund two fund three fund four okay. and so on uh they large, might be course. larger yeah, yeah. yeah of course sure the uh the other thing i wanted to ask you is the uh i mean most of our listeners are in the united states and uh, i think the perception is that Coming from Norway, you have the massive oil uh, money and the massive oil industry and the energy sector should be, you know, thriving. Um, you know, what's the kind of perspective from Norway looking at the European energy crisis? Yeah, so uh, Norway has 
for decades already been kind of the reliable energy provider to Europe. Um, so we're providing a lot of the natural gas that they use um, in Germany, in France, and so on. And uh, and I I think Norway is probably a country that's easier to collaborate with, right? Than than a lot of the other energy producers. Um, so so we have that heritage with us. Um, but Norway, of course, we're a large uh, oil and gas producing country. Uh, we still are. Um, however, we're also one of the leaders on uh, renewables. So we've been producing hydropower, and I think we're among the top three in Europe uh, in hydropower production. So this means that we have a lot of competence around the energy space, and we're super well positioned to both use the, um, the technologies that we have developed within these industries, use them to create new uh, energy uh, sources, we have a lot of engineering competence that we can use. And what we actually see now is that people don't want to work with oil and gas anymore. They want to do something meaningful. We see it, you know, with the people that we attract to our companies and also to Norslab that people want to get out of those industries. And, you know, those are the smartest minds that have been kind of caught up in those industries, tied up in those industries for decades. But it's not cool to work there anymore. People want to make a positive change and now they, uh, they will take their competence uh, and they will uh, start building the companies of the future. So that's really a trend that we're seeing now. So I would say with all the competence that we have in Norway, also the industrial heritage uh, with a lot of, you know, we have subsea technology that we are now using, for instance, to create better uh, methods for catching species on the seafloor. Let me just give you that example. I think it's it's a pretty cool one. You're using uh, a subsequent technology that comes out of the oil and gas sector, and you've adapted that now to um, a device that uh, you can bring close to the seafloor and actually pick up seashells. Uh, so this is scallops that this company has started with. You can pick up seashells from the seafloor without destroying the seafloor. Because what's going on today is that most of those species are being scraped off the seafloor with all the... Dis yeah, yeah, right? It's mm. ugly. <laughs> yes. uh, it's even astonishing that it's still allowed. In Norway, it's been forbidden for 30 years. So we haven't been able to harvest of those species. Uh, and now this company is called Ava Ocean. Um, they have actually come in a position to reopen those fisheries uh, thanks to that new technology. So I think this is just an example of how one technology that kind of is in our legacy uh, can be used for creating the companies of tomorrow. And I think that's really where we stand now. Mm. So basically knowledge transfer, the talent uh, and the technology transfer and the third thing you didn't mention coming from the kind of mm. investment platform yeah. capital transfer too right the capital which has been kind of uh, accumulating with uh, with yeah. the oil industry has been of over course. the last decades quite heavily also invested mm. in the new technologies yeah absolutely mm. um looking forward in the 20 
22, fall of 2022. What are the next kind of big things for NOSLAB? Launching those two new funds or? Yeah, I of course for us, uh, we're working on, on many fronts, but for us, it's really exciting now to move into new asset class uh, with the high yield fund. Uh, which is a completely, I would say it's a completely different way of working compared to the, the venture funds. And, uh, it's a challenge, of course, to adapt our impact lens, our meaningfulness lens to that kind of universe where, you know, on, on the venture funds, we have a lot of time to do the assessments and we can go very deep and so on. And, and we're used to having the luxury <laughs> to, mm. to, to do that. And so in high yield, when you're in a uh, situation where you have much higher volumes uh, in investments, you know, how do you do that? What is the system you can create to still say, um, yes, I can assure you we're doing impact and it's well documented. But we're, I'm working uh, with uh, my excellent team. <laughs> mm. uh, we're working on this right now to, to settle on it. And we, we have found a solution uh, to, to actually do it uh, with a very high degree of thoroughness still. Mm. Actually, the way we've done it is that we, uh, we use a very, I would say, practical or pragmatic approach where we first look at the companies or the issuers in the universe where uh, we know that they're doing good. You know, so we start with the easy ones that we know are very, very, very clearly uh, driving a positive impact. And we're signing them off for the high yield team to invest in. Mm. And then for the companies that might be a little bit more in the gray zone, we're, di- we're digging actually yeah. as deep as we are mm. doing in the venture funds. Mm. So, um, so we, we are actually aiming for an article nine with the, uh, EU, re- uh, the SFDR mm. and the EU regulation, um, uh, to classify funds. Um, so, uh, we're very, very excited mm. and, uh, we haven't seen, uh, in the Nordics, at least, uh, any uh, impact high yield funds yet. I think the concept. Uh, so I think the concept is a little bit like oxymoron, right? The, uh, the ha- yeah. mentally, at least, if you think of the high yield credit, you think people in trouble uh, lending money, yeah. for, borrowing money for twenty percent or thirty percent or forty percent rates, and mm. then you try to put impact investing into that. You kind of yeah. think, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think there that that's why we like working with these things as well, right? If it was easy, anyone could do it. But we really like the fact that it's a hard thing to do. Mm. Uh but you know, this is also the the choice that we've made at North Lab to uh to be industry leading on impact and we've invested in a really, really good team. Uh and this allows us to do it. But you have to have the right people and you need to invest time and resources into it. If you want to claim that you're doing impact, uh, you know, for any kind of fund, but particularly when you're doing something hard, like impact in high yield, you need to invest, you know, resources, people. So that's what we've done. It's the choice we've made. And I think that's, 
Uh, also, if I may say, you know, unique is a big word. Uh, yeah. But I think at least what's different with with us is that, you know, you have a lot of investment managers that have a, have a, you know a variety of different funds in different asset classes. But we haven't seen anyone yet that have kind of drawn not the red thread, but the green thread throughout and, you know, managed to do impact across all initiatives, which mm. is what we're striving to do. So, sounds like a beautiful challenge to take up. Absolutely. <laughs> the, uh, in, your, in your talk, you mentioned in passing uh, ESG. What's your mm. take on ESG? Yeah, so um, where to start? Uh, <laughs> you know, with all the ESG ranting that we have had this autumn, uh, you know, there are a thousand things that you could look at. But I think uh, ESG in some form uh, will, of course, uh, continue to exist. It makes sense to look at ESG when you're looking at uh, large companies. You know, then... Uh, the operational side, which is what ESG focuses on, uh, makes more sense to look at. But when you want to support and build the companies of tomorrow, it might be a company of 20 employees. It doesn't make sense to look at how the company is run and whether that is done in an environmentally friendly way. Uh, what it makes sense to look at is are they building a business that is good for our world? And that is the reason why we are so strict on wanting only to invest in companies that uh, have a product-driven impact. So it means that if we want to build the companies of tomorrow, we have to focus on the product. And that will you'll see throughout, you know, even in high yields, we're basing our assessments on the products that the companies have to offer. We're not basing it on ESG. Because the ESG data, you know, for once there is a problem with the, you know, the um, the great um, uh, difference in the ratings, right? And you have different methodologies, different data inputs, and you have widely, you know, have a wide range of uh, of scores depending on who is doing the the scoring. Uh, so for us, it's, uh, th that is one problem that is a part, but I think the core problem is what ESG focuses on. And I know some investment managers are trying to use, uh, ESG for, for impact. And there might be, uh, ESG factors that are relevant to impact, but it's not the core of it. You have to focus on the product. You know, how, you know, if you have a product that's bad for people to eat, uh, you know, it doesn't matter that the company is good at uh, reducing their uh, CO2 emissions uh, uh, when they travel. You know, mm. it makes no sense at all. <laughs> oh, Same, uh, you know, of course, a lot of the oil and gas companies here in Norway, of course, they're well run, but they have a, they have a product that is intrinsically bad for the environment. Mm. So it makes no sense to, to uh, disregard the product and look only at ESG and say that you're doing well. And I think also what kind of disappears in this whole ESG debate is the difference in angle between ESG and impact, because many tend to put everything in the same bucket, right? 
but ESG has been designed to, to look at sustainability related factors that impact a company financially. So it's about the financial performance of the company. So to me, it's more kind of, it's more the risk aspect. It's on the commercial side, on the credit side, then it's very relevant to look at ESG. But if you look at impact and you say you want to do good for the world, then it's about how is my company and my products, how are they impacting our world? So this is an inside-out perspective, whereas ESG is the other way around. Mm. But for the inside-out perspective, what kind of metrics you use? How do you actually measure it? Yeah. Uh, so we have uh, a very clear thought on the fact that there is no answer with two lines <laughs> underneath. I, I kind uh, of thought so, this. yes, sorry. <laughs> so we, we apply what we call a multi-lens approach. So we will never rely on a single metric or a single data provider. Uh, but we have basically four and we could say five steps. I'll take you through them that we look at for all of our companies currently. And I'm we're actually working also on adding more lenses. Uh, but for now, we have five. So the first one will be the fundamental research that we do on our team. So we dive into the science of an industry and the science of, uh, of the change that the company is trying to, to bring about. Uh, and we articulate also in a narrated and, and a heavily um, documented way uh, what the challenge is that the company is addressing, uh, how is the company driving the change. Uh, and uh, I think uh, so Kenza, who's the one on my team that is really diving into research here, she often has a, like a 25, 30 pages document that she will boil down to, to these two, two items. Uh, so that's the first thing that we do. Uh, the second thing that we do once we have that understanding uh, of the case is uh, the mapping to the ES, uh, sorry, to the SDGs at target level. Uh, target level, really important because a lot of people just look at the headlines of the SDGs. They don't look at what they actually contain which can very easily lead to, to rainbow washing. And then we also look at the indicators that are in the SDGs. So those are the metrics that they use to measure part progress. And we suggest a KPI that the company should use to measure their progress as well. And then we have the third uh, lens, which is um, the net impact lens. Uh, so that is... Um, a modeling of the company's positive and negative uh, impacts throughout the value chain. So it's both upstream and downstream. And we're working with a Finnish data provider called the Upright Project. So a big shout out to them, they're great people. Um, we're working with them on, on providing uh, that data. They've created a very, very cool piece of technology that uh, is based on a product taxonomy uh, and where their technology is connected to the world's, world's largest science database and understands the causality 
between a product and certain effects. So they would explain this better than me, but, uh, but basically you will get um, the shape of a company in terms of uh, what, are, what are they, their impacts, positive and negative, on the environment, on society, on health, on knowledge. Um, and you get a score uh, that helps you understand uh, how the company does, you know, what is the net impact? Is it more, does it do more good than, than bad? Uh, and you can also, of course, compare with industry pairs to see to what extent the company is doing better than others uh, in, the, in their uh, line of, uh, of work. Uh, and then uh, the fourth lens that we use is the EU uh, taxonomy. So we screen all our companies. It will not drive our decision alone, but it's very important that we have awareness of how our companies are doing in terms of the EU taxonomy. And then finally, you know, back to looping back to what you actually asked about a few minutes about, uh, back, uh, we do uh, some ESG assessments at the end. So that's when we're really into the, you know, we do the deep dive in the impact DD. Uh, we select some of the metrics uh, that you would recognize as ESG metrics, but we call it an operational assessment that we believe can be material to the company's uh, potential to drive impact. So we do not have the financial angle to ESG. We have the impact angle. So it really may, means, for instance, one of the things that we can look at is what is the team's commitment to impact? Let's say you have a CEO that doesn't believe in climate change. Then you have a team commitment issue, right? How can you know that investing in a company like that, the company will commit to continue driving impact through their core product? Uh, so those are things that we can look at, but they are always relevant to the company's ability to drive, uh, to drive impact. Mm. I know some uh, media house chief ex uh, editors in chief who don't don't believe in uh, climate change. I just don't see how one could see this as a you know um, issue of religion, but uh, it's mm -hmm. uh, a little bit crazy. Yeah, it is. We agree. Uh, um, okay. We've gone through what you guys are doing. We talked about some of the great examples in your mm -hmm. portfolio. Uh, talked a little bit about the industry and looking forward. Anything to wrap up the discussion or anything you want to definitely say to the listeners? Well, um, I think uh, that we should all... Um, in terms of impact, we should all take a step back and stop looking so much at what the benchmark is in the industry. You know, what is, what is it that we need to do to be able to say that we're doing impact and, you know, reap the benefits of being marketed as an impact investor? I think uh, what everyone should try and do is take a step back uh, and work on the integrity and actually look at, you know, when we say that we do impact, what is the best possible way 
of ensuring that we're doing impact. Let's not look at what everyone else is doing, or we can look at it for awareness, but you know, if we could shape the impact space from scratch, you know, how would we do it? Mm. You know, try to, uh, what do you say, tabula rasa, right? Uh, uh, and, and try and clean it up and see, okay, with all the knowledge that we have about sustainability, you know, how can we do this in the very best way so that we keep integrity and credibility throughout and that all of us working here can say, we are an impact investor and we know it in our hearts that we really are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, of course, it's not enough to just know that you're trying to do good, but you also have to invest in the teams and the resources and the hours because you have to document everything. It's really, we see, still see some of those Excel sheets you know, circulating, uh, I won't mention any names, but where it's just a ticking, uh, you know, tick box exercise, we need to get away from that. And we need to, you know, if we want to claim impact, we need to document and we need to work on it, on it in a way more serious way than a lot of players are doing today. Mm, absolutely. I think that's a good point to wrap up. Thank you, Maria, for this discussion. Thank you so much, Tamara. Thank you for joining us. We will be back next week. Turn on to Nature Back podcast. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.